The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The brain is our personal tool to keep us at our best and realize self-esteem. The mind, body, and immune system work together to help us make the right choices and to reach our purpose and potential. Welcome to Illuminating Now, Lindsay's Life Secrets. Lindsay and her guests are the go-to experts when it comes to relationships, sexuality, parenting, and wellness. We're here to enlighten and inform you. Now, here is your host, Lindsay Levinson. Hi, I'm Lindsay Levinson, and I am your host here at Illuminating Now, Lindsay's Life Secrets. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for choosing this show. We have an audience, and we're getting really big, and we are probably twenty-five to 30,000 listeners, maybe even plus, and that's because you're choosing to build this community. So I thank you all for making that choice and allowing this to become a reality. Our Facebook address is Illuminating Now. That's all one word. And our Twitter is at sign Illuminating Now. Our Twitter has taken off like crazy, but I will say there's a lot of stuff on Facebook as well. So you need to be checking us out if you can. And also my website, qualityforlifecoaching.com. Four words all together, qualityforlifecoaching.com. So check that out. That's a website consultation. I'm willing to work with you with a free consult. So I'd love to hear from you. Today we're going to introduce our guest, and that is Graham Aitchison, and this is a young and accomplished author at 30 years old. So there is a lot to talk about about this individual. He did write the book, No Way Out But Through, and that is a book about depression and the struggles and OCD and addiction and challenges and suffering and walking that journey. What is that? So we're going to talk a little bit about Graham's bio, because it's really important that you actually understand who it is, the person is, that you're about to meet on this show. So let me introduce you to him, and first by telling you about him. Graham is 30. He grew up in Wellington, New Zealand. For as long as he can remember, he struggled with overpowering fear, depression, and anxiety in his life. His relationships with those around him suffered. His childhood was very hard. So he felt confused, angry, misunderstood on a daily basis. Does this sound familiar to any of you? Listen closely, because I think it probably will resonate for you. During his teenage years, his schoolwork suffered. He began drinking alcohol. He was unmotivated and didn't enjoy life, which became more about just simply surviving each day. Now, Graham made a faith-based commitment at the age of 18 as he felt that he could go no further in his life on a path that he'd been walking down. He couldn't live like this anymore. This was the turning point in his life and the beginnings of a journey to healing and wellness at last. He was officially diagnosed with clinical depression and obsessive compulsive disorder at the age of 20, and he was told he'd be dependent on antidepressant medication for the rest of his life. 
However, that did not sit right with Graham. That diagnosis did not jive, and he believed wholeheartedly that he was going to overcome his spiritual and emotional problems and walk into the fullness of help that he knew he deserved. Graham's journey has taken him far deeper than most and beyond the realms of conventional thinking into a spiritual universe he was deeply entangled in, but he didn't really even ever know existed. So he's learned to understand the spiritual and emotional driving forces behind mental illness in his life. And he has begun to find real answers for these struggles. He believes that most of the practices utilized today regarding depression, they're only helping people to manage the problem, maybe make it easier to deal with, but that's rather than helping people rid themselves of it altogether. Graham has been deeply passionate about finding real answers to the driving forces behind mental suffering, his mental suffering, and others, in order to completely heal himself for sure. He has published his first book, which is titled No Way Out But Through. This book is written about Graham's journey over the years. The title is symbolic, you can tell, of Graham's firmly held belief that the darkest and most painful areas of one's life must really be fully walked through in order to really completely heal from them. So I'm going to say again, take it down, write it down, that name, No Way Out But Through. You can find it on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and Kindle and anywhere you can find a book, you're going to find this book. It's a good book. I've read this book. It's divided into parts. It's an easy read. It's down to earth and you will relate to some things. And if it's not you, you'll relate to someone you know. It's very, very tangible as far as being able to understand what he's saying. Graham's Facebook, I'm going to spell these things because everyone has names that are spelled uniquely, but his Facebook is, you know, facebook.com slash Graham Ian Aitchison. So it's spelled G-R-A-H-A-M-I-A-N-A-I-T-C-H-I. S-O-N. Graham Ian Aitchison, all one word. His Twitter is Graham Aitchison, and the at sign is in front of that. So at Graham Aitchison, with the same spelling, of course, that I just said. And there is a blog, which is his first two initials for Graham Ian, so G-I Aitchison. But that's all one word, G-I-Aitchison.blogspot.co. And as in Nancy, Z as in zebra, Okay. So G-I-H-S-N-L-1-Word.blogspot.co.nz. And then there's a backslash. All right. I like it to have addresses. It's kind of tedious. It can be a pain to take these down. It can even be a pain if you're listening to a radio show and someone is doing addresses all day long. But it's important that you know how to find people and reach the people and the places that you want to go after the show to engage. And so I really, I take it seriously to make sure that we give these to you and that you have them available. This is part one of a part two series, and it is on depression, and it is on mental illness as a whole and darkness. Is there any way out? So Graham is here for two weeks, and we're going to navigate through his personal journey, and I'm really grateful that he did make the time for this because it's going to be so, so very valuable. Graham, I just want to thank you so much for being here today on Illuminating Now. I thank you. Oh, thanks, Lindsay. It's my pleasure to be here. Yeah, I, I think that depression is, um, and mental illness, you know, it's, it's a, 
it is just huge. It's it's growing like crazy. And I don't know if it's because people don't talk about it or, you know, more is happening as a result. Um, I think darkness is a good word. I want to start at the beginning. And darkness is just the symbolic word for me when I think about depression. And I know that you have referred to it. So let's let's talk about that phase. You know, let's go to the beginning. What was your childhood like growing up? Yeah, it was... Uh... Yeah, it was certainly very hard. I struggled a lot throughout my childhood. I had some major mood swings would just sort of, yeah, really swing back and forth between these terrible moods. And I think the hardest part of it was that um, no one really understood what was going on, including myself. And um, all I knew was that I was just upset and I was just in terrible mental anguish and I had no idea why. And being upset and being in terrible mental anguish, that affected my actions and caused me to overreact to things that happened, even something as simple as just losing a football game or something at school. Um, you know, I would really lose the plot and overreact and then that would bring in different things like you know mockery and ridicule from people, um, other students. Sometimes I would really, really lose my temper and that would result in disciplinary actions from teachers and that sort of thing. And yeah, it was just really, really hard. It was very, very difficult trying to navigate that on a daily basis. Yeah, I mean, that would be so hard. It's um, It's so interesting because you know, this is this is part of your wiring, the emotional reactions and the mood swings and the in, in, you know, need to succeed or the depression when things don't go a certain way. And it's so funny. Again, I think in our society, it's not funny, but it's funny in such an unusual way that, that nobody understands that it is to be paid attention to if somebody is, is really struggling with this. But instead, we, you know, we get people in trouble we, you know, we have something to say. Friends don't want to be around that person. Teachers want to give them an, a little pink slip or make them sit on the bench or, yeah. you know, people, yeah, people get, um, you know, condemned for a behavior that doesn't look like everyone else's rather than, exactly. it, yeah. you know, somebody could be intrigued by it, but that's not what we do. So tell me about your relationships then, because relationships are hard enough on a good day for anyone. But what about with this kind of situation that you're facing how did your relationships get affected oh it was yeah it was it was really really hard with relationships as well with uh, just about anyone what I would really find the main way that it would manifest with me is that I'd become really 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 clingy towards people and I would sort of look to other people as a sense of you know like reassurance and um yeah, sort of clinging on to people because I felt that, um, that that they would make me happy and that relationship would make me happy. You know, even just um, close close friends and that sort of thing, just sort of clinging on to them. You know, please, please pay attention to me. Please make me feel happy by being around. And, of course, you know, that's a sort of expectation that you just cannot put on another person. And I was doing it without even realizing it. And then... What I began to fa- find as time went on is that I actually started to lose friends because I was just becoming a bit too much for people. And that, of course, brought in its own problems as well as I started to feel rejected when that happened and that just caused me to shut down even further. 
Okay, because this is so. This is just another huge component, as as mm-hmm. far as I would see it, because when you suffer from anything, again, and we'll we'll sort of umbrella it under maybe mental illness or maybe depression, and even OCD, ways that you want to do things a certain way, but you you. You can't really talk out loud. Maybe at the time you're growing up, you don't even know. But even if someone diagnoses you, you know, you don't really talk out loud because our society creates a huge stigma around a problem like this. They don't want to know. So you, but you need support. It's what it's really what you need. Even you know, above and beyond any medication or anything, you need to start with people who actually support you, believe in you, love you, will stand by you. So it makes a lot of sense that you reach and try to create relationships that help you know, I'm okay, I'm all right, someone would be here if I needed them, I'm having a down day, I'm going to turn to this person. You know, so you start really, really trying to solidify relationships so you know you have those as your backbone. And Mm. of course, you struggle so hard that people, you know, kind of want to shake you off because they can't. Yeah, they can't meet the expectation or they're mm. worried that you expect too much or mm. they, you know, their own self-esteem suffers because they think they've let you down, whatever those, did you experience those types of dynamics? Oh, yeah, definitely, absolutely. And the main reason for that is just, um, you know, when you're clinging on to someone that tightly and expecting them to meet your needs because of an unmet and unresolved need in your own life, um, it's basically just trying to medicate a problem with something that will never fix it. I mean, it didn't matter how much I clung to people or how much attention they gave me or anything like that. It wouldn't actually solve the problem at the end of the day. So it was a need that I was looking to be met in right. a way that it could never be met. Right, right, which ironically is what they're feeling too. It's not just… Exactly. Yeah, not just that they don't like you, they're just feeling like, you know, I somehow, again, sometimes it's conscious, sometimes it's subconscious, but they get, like, what you want from me is more than I'll ever be able to provide, so then I'm going to, I feel bad about myself unless I get away from you, because, right, yeah, so, okay, we're on the same page on that, so, now, it makes so much sense to me, to me, addiction is almost, um, it's a comorbidity, it goes along with the you know, with a lot of these things, because you can't, you, you can't survive it. It's so very difficult. So talk to me about addiction. How does that come into your life? What age? What do you do to help yourself, you know, kind of numb out or try? Yeah, relationships was definitely a big one with addiction as well. I sort of, I, I sort of just dubbed it relationship addiction, just in terms of, yeah, the people that I had around me, it was, it was literally like being addicted to to people and just that wanting to feel connected to them but yeah as i say it's just it was it was a hopeless thing because you're trying to you're trying to fix something in yourself using um using someone else or something else and it's not going to work i also got found myself getting really really obsessive about different things i started playing the guitar when i was uh 16 i think and um I sort of part of my 
uh, what sort of got into my head was this whole thing of, oh, this is going to fix things. This is going to help me as well. This is going to make me feel good about myself. And it wasn't really the case, but because I believed that, I threw myself into it wholeheartedly and I'd be playing for sort of eight or nine hours a day sometimes. And it was just really sort of what I, whatever I could latch onto, which would just sort of numb it out so yeah certainly certainly relationships with people and um you know music using music as a form of escape and there was um there was certainly drinking alcohol in there as well I, i would never have called myself an alcoholic or anything but it was certainly something that could be used to numb things okay so that's a good point because i went straight to addiction in in sort of chemicals because that is something that I just hear so very often and it makes a lot of sense. But yeah, the obsessive nature and just addictive nature of picking anything that you then think, well, this is what I'll do every day, all day, so that I can feel better. And exactly. It, and it could be playing guitar and it, it, it could be anything like that, but you're still mm. trying to replace or fill a void maybe that is it's still got to do with very, very interpersonal work that you haven't exactly. realized yet. Yeah. Exactly, yep, precisely, yeah. Okay. And so was it hard to, like, find a job or keep a job? Because if this is how you're feeling or you're having moods or people, you know, relational issues, how does that, you know, apply to the job world? Oh, yeah, it was very, very difficult just to maintain jobs, really. I mean, um, due to my behavior, I was actually a really good worker because I've, you know, so wanted to impress people and didn't want to upset anyone and wanted to keep people on board with me. So, you know, I'd work very, very hard, sometimes to my own detriment. But at the same time, I was carrying around, because I was carrying so much within myself, at the time, it was almost like, you know, I was trying to do, on one hand, I was trying to do my work for for the job I was doing, whatever that may be, because I've had several throughout my life. And on the other hand, I'm also trying to manage all of this, um, manage and deal with all of this mental illness stuff at the same time as well. So it was almost like working two full-time jobs in one. And um, what I found <laughs> that, yeah, that was, it was a lot of work. Yeah. And what I... What I really found was the hardest part of that was just that because you're trying to, you know, be completely focused on your job and what you're doing, but also trying to be focused on, you know, just managing, just getting through every day and, um, you know, working through things when you feel you need to and that sort of thing, I would find it would get very, very draining and, um, yeah, just mentally, emotionally, physically, it would get very, very draining. And there were often times where I just, you know, I actually just had to phone in sick and just said, look, I, I can't come into work today. And it wasn't due to being lazy or being slack or anything or, or wanting to skive off. I was just, yeah, I'd get often find myself getting majorly physically exhausted because I just wasn't coping um, with the demands of dealing with both of those things at once. And so, um, in all, in most of the jobs I've had, I've tended over the years, I have, I've got through them. But at the same time, I've found that I've needed, often needed, quite a bit of sick leave and that sort of thing, which has, of course, put pressure on my employers. Yeah, because. Going through this kind of stuff, 
You know, what I think people don't make room for, and I keep saying sort of generalizations, but I, I have found them. I've found these generalizations, oh my gosh, time and time again. That, And so that's why I sort of refer to it as society. I just kind of call it the society. Um, sure. doesn't, doesn't make room for the fact that, you know, it, our insides get depleted. We are depleted from what we're doing with our brain, from trying yeah. to we're trying to get it right or we're judging ourselves. or if someone says, Hey, you know, can you get that in five minutes earlier next time? I mean, where that could be one minute thinking for somebody else, for someone who maybe is in your position, you might have to ponder that for two hours, what you did wrong, why you didn't get it on on time. What, what do they really mean by that? Are you in trouble? You know, I, there's a whole thing that goes on in your brain with the critique of your work, of who you are, of how you're doing, of being an A plus achiever, of trying, and it's depleting. I mean, it's just, it a, it's a draining process that you might as well have run 10 miles and people can't see you run 10 miles, so they don't understand why you'd be drained. Does that make sense? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, precisely. Yeah. So were you, when you're working your jobs now, what age are you? Like when, when were you, you know, when did you first get a job or when are the years that you're struggling with this before you start to find a way toward anything better? Um, I first started working when I was 17, I think. Um, those were only sort of part-time jobs it was actually it was actually in the years sort of in my uh mid to late 20s that i find myself that i found myself struggling uh more and more yeah with that but those those struggles were always present in um in in every job i've ever had right it would make sense and then and so when when did you first go to the doctor you know were you going as a child but just didn't understand that it was a mental thing so you didn't feel good or did you finally you know was there some big epiphany moment where you know you finally say I'm going to the doctor because I feel so crazy and clouded in my head I can't get clarity like did you know it was you, you know inside your head that was very difficult to put it all together or were you just having like mini symptoms throughout time Yeah it was um well, I was sort of just having, yeah, just mini symptoms sort of thing. But then eventually, um, as I got a bit older and I started to, I think it was in my early 20s, um, had some had some good people around me at that point. And I was actually living, I was studying and I was living on a, um, on a campus. Uh, and um, when I was on there, I had some people around me, and because we were sort of living all in community, they saw my behaviour a lot more often, and they sort of said to me, "Hey, um, I think in terms of the way that you think, sometimes in the way that you're talking, I think there's actually, I think you might actually need to go to the doctor." And that was sort of when it really dawned on me in my early twenties. So I went to the doctor, and I was diagnosed with depression and um, OCD, and they decided to put me on a course of uh, antidepressant medication. Okay, and was that just one medication, or did they put you on multiple? Sometimes people get a relaxant or a sleeping med, or but or was this just strictly they were focusing on you're depressed? Here's an antidepressant. Yeah, they um, they tried a few different ones. Uh, the main ones that I found worked were. Uh, Fluoxetine, uh, Prozac, and another one called uh, Loxamine. 
Um, yeah, th- there was a couple of other ones that they put me on, but I found that they actually uh, made me a lot worse. So they had to uh, take me off those. But I ended up being on quite a high dosage of those. So at one point, I was on, I think, uh, three tablets a day, which is about 60 milligrams a day, I think. So, yeah, it was quite uh, a bit. What's Luxamine? Do you know? Like, is there another name for that? Oh. I mean, you don't I, have to come. I didn't know if you knew, like. I think I, I do remember it once, but um, it, 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 it escapes me now. Okay. Not off the top of my head anymore. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, so, so you're on those meds and yep. you're taking them and, and when you got it right, you're saying, and there was ones that didn't work, which that's a big struggle for people is going through because there's a whole period of about six weeks you've got to go through potential side effects to get to the good part. So there might be headaches or nausea or lethargia or whatever, and, and you still have to sort of go through that. Did you have to travel through that phase to get to the part where it starts working? Oh, yeah, on both ends. On both ends, when I first went on it, um, I went through a period of about six weeks where I was all had the shakes really bad and was really sweaty and anxiety actually got a lot worse. But then it started to settle down and got more used to it. But then, of course, there was there was the other end of the matter um, many, many years later when I um, felt it was time for me to come off them. And once I started coming off them, then I went through all of those symptoms again, except in, except in reverse. And I really realized at that point just how powerful um, the effect of those chemicals were on my body. Right, which is a really interesting point, which we're about to take a break. So um, I'm glad we're at that point because I want to talk to you more about um, medication and talk a little bit about your feelings on that and um, sure. maybe just have a little conversation about it. So for for right now, we are going to go to break. You are listening to Illuminating Now, Lindsay's Life Secrets. I am Lindsay Levinson, your host. And our guest today is Graham HSN, and he wrote the book, No Way Out But Through. And go Google that during the break and take a look because you're going to want to get that book. It's so helpful. In the meantime, we want you to come back right after break and we will be right back. Adoption changes a family forever for the adopters as well as the adoptees. There are many adjustments that need to be made from lifestyle to financial, and the personal rewards are unlimited. Listen every week for Your Adoption Coach with Kelly Ellison. We will examine in detail such topics as international and domestic adoption. We will talk with adoption professionals and hear stories about real families adopting. If you've been thinking about adoption or recently began the process, you'll want to tune in to be inspired every Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on Voice America Variety. What does a visual workplace mean to you? How does it contribute to operational excellence? And what steps do you take to put it powerfully in place? Listen to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense to find out. Each week, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, shares tools and strategies to help you make the workplace to speak at a glance without saying a word. Learn to work safer, faster, better, and at far less cost no matter what business you're in. Tune in to The Visual Workplace every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Want to help make our world a better place, but not sure where to start? Tune in to Better Worldians Radio with the creators of the social game on Facebook called A Better World. 
Join hosts Ray, Mary Sue, and Gregory Hansel, who will inspire you to make a big difference in small ways. They'll speak to experts, authors, volunteers, and everyday people who are changing the world daily. Better Worldians Radio is heard live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. Ready to chat about your favorite soap operas? The daytime discussion is here with Dan J. Kroll and Soap Central Live. For the past 15 years, Dan has been dishing and discussing on SoapCentral.com. And now he's taking the talk to the airwaves of the Voice America Variety Channel. You'll go behind the scenes with the biggest stars of daytime, along with guest commentary from the Soap Central columnists. And we'll take your questions and comments during our live show. Soap Central Live, every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. What if there was a radio show that could demonstrate how we can cut your taxes in half without diminishing needed government services? One that could explain how to create tens of millions of jobs at no cost to taxpayers, as well as fantastic yet easily affordable health care. Side effects include cutting crime rates nationwide, providing better education for our children, international peace and harmony, and protecting your private, personal data from government intrusion. Tune in to Libertarians Working for You with Arvind Vora, weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. You are tuned in to Illuminating Now, Lindsay's Life Secrets. To connect with Lindsay or her guest, please call in to the show at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to lindsay244 at sbcglobal.net. That's L-I-N-Z-I-244 at sbcglobal.net. Now, back to Illuminating Now. Hi, this is Lindsay Levinson, and we are back at Illuminating Now, Lindsay's Life Secrets. I am your host, Lindsay Levinson, with our guest, Graham Aitchison, and we're really lucky to have him here. He does have a book, No Way Out But Through, and you know what is so important today? We are talking about depression. We're talking about mental illness, OCD, what other parts might you be experiencing or somebody you know that's any part of mental illness? And you feel alone and isolated and you're struggling. Maybe you're taking meds, maybe not. Um, is there any way out to find clarity or a way where your life feels better? So we have a two-part series. Today is part one. And Graham is talking about a lot of the tough stuff that he did go through. We went to break. And as we went off to break, Graham talked about what it was to be getting on medication and that he was taking a significant amount and... I just want to say for everyone out there, there is a period where you go through some tremendous side effects quite often, and, and then you get to the good part if medicines are going to work, and there's side effects on the way off of those medicines as well. So that's where we were at. So Graham, you know, first of all, how many years were you on meds, or are you still, or, you know, what, tell me a little bit about the time frame of being on medication for antidepressant. Sure. I first started going on it when I was 20, and I came off medication uh, a couple of months after my 29th birthday. So I think it was just over eight years. 
that okay. I was on it. So, yeah, long time. <laughs> well, it's all perspective. It's not necessarily a long time in the scope of a lifetime, but it, it could be a long time depending on, you know, just, just what you had to go through. And so I would like to know your opinion. I mean, you certainly were on them a long enough time to have an opinion on um, whether you think they're a good thing, a bad thing, um, you know, or not really a judgment toward them, but, you know, some thoughts. What, what can you tell us in, about medications in connection to antidepressants? Sure. Um, I know that when I first went on them, there was definitely a need for them because I know that the serotonin levels in my brain had um, become a little bit a little bit depleted thanks to um, infrequent uh, marijuana use in my teenage years. And so I, I do feel that that had decreased the serotonin levels in my brain a little bit. So it was good to be on them um, because it just bumped them back up to normal. So there was definitely a chemical imbalance happening there which needed to be corrected, which was a big help. But at the same time, it wasn't ever really sort of... Um, it wasn't ever really healing the spiritual and emotional side of what I was going through. It was really just kind of a bit of a mask and sort of just took the edge off the anxiety and depression and sort of helped me block it out a bit easier, which isn't really solving the problem. And one thing that I did notice is um, when I was on it, I sort of, without even really realizing, I did sort of become a bit of a zombie and um, people noticed that there wasn't as much life in my eyes and that sort of thing. And I sort of kind of looked half awake a lot of the time. And it was only when I started uh, coming off them towards the end of 2012, that I, when I started detoxing, that I realized just how much of an effect they, they had had on me. I went through all these crazy side effects and symptoms and all of a sudden was found with all these overpowering emotions being thrown into my face, which I'd spent years blocking out with medication. So, um, yeah, my thoughts on it are twofold. On one part, I can certainly see the sense of it if there has been a chemical imbalance and that it's it's definitely necessary in regards to that. But at the same time, if, um, if the issue of what you're really going through, if it's not just chemical but spiritual as well, spiritual and emotional, then it's not going to help really solve the problem. It just helps, makes a way to manage it and just kind of blocks it out. And sort of, I found for me, it sort of sapped a bit of my quality of life anyway. And after being on them for so long, I realized how much of an effect they were having having on me because it took me about four months of detoxing to um, come down off them altogether. So yeah, my thoughts are twofold on the matter. Yeah, well, that sounds like a pretty smart way of thinking that it is twofold. I, I have some thoughts on um, medication. You know, I there are some things in the world that uh, I speak to and have some passion around. And, and, and well, one is I don't like judgment. <laughs> I, sure. I, will, I will admit I'm judgmental about people who are judgmental. So, Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, there's where there's where some of my my flaws are, and, and I'm I rarely have to deal with anger, but anger comes up for me with issues of justice. So, like I'm aware of these things. Um, medications are something I find people judge. I even my own clients. I have a large clientele who I've met through you know through the years. Who even as they sit down and tell me 
you know, their, their terrors of what their life might be feeling like, they will say, I, I, I'm not going on any meds. You know, I'm not being a zombie. I'm not getting a lobotomy. You're not, no one's doing that to me, you know. And I'm not a doctor, so let me make that disclaimer on the air. I do not write a prescription, but I'm actually very, very well educated on pharmacology and psychopharmacology. So I know medications. It's a passion of mine. Sure. So, I, so I don't tell my clients what to take, but I write little notes for them to take to their doctor about what, sure. I, what I think might be of help. But so that's why I'm saying that's the reason I would be having this conversation is because I'm actually really talking through in detail, um, you know, but, but also people in the world will say, are you still on a med or is that guy still on medication? Can't he just get happy? What is his issue? Oh my God, people just rely on this stuff, you know, get off those meds and just find happiness. You know, you have a lot of comments like that. And so, yes, I, I have judgment about that, um, you know, that, that judgment in the world. I, I think you were very, very wise. I think that it is, is so smart. The way that I describe the analogy of medication is if you don't have it and you need it, I'm not saying everyone does, but if you do, then you're walking what I call with dark glasses. This is my analogy. I'm very visual. So I say you're walking with dark glasses, which means if you needed to get something anywhere in life, if you needed to get something in the fridge in the middle of the night, and you had dark glasses and the lights were off, you know, you probably would bump into a lot of walls, hurt yourself along the way, and get the wrong thing out of the fridge, you know, because you can't yeah. see, right? So if, if you had rosy colored glasses, you might, you know, get even still to the wrong place and come out with the wrong thing because it looked so good, it, but it actually wasn't what you went for. Yeah, and, for sure. And, and then clarity, right? Clear glasses, clarity, mm-hmm. seeing what's real and seeing really your true way of wherever you're headed and then seeing what you went for. So I'm trying to t- say that I think medication is critical to get some clarity as far as the ability to make your next decision. You'll always make, a, you know, it's, I won't say always, you're likely to make a next bad decision if you're walking in the dark and you stay in the dark. Exactly. So. Yeah, so I really appreciate that, you know, you got help with medication because that helps get the brain, like you said, if serotonin, it could be serotonin, norepinephrine, dopamine, adrenaline. These are the things that, you know, need to be balanced at some level for us to be able to even make a clear choice. And so you are on these meds. And so then while on the meds, when is it that you decided things need to change and, you know, change from a medication perspective that you wanted to look deeper or understand spirituality or something deeper inside yourself? Yeah, I was, um, I first made a, um, a faith-based commitment when I was, I think, about four or five years old. And that sort of kind of stuck, stuck with me to some degree, but I was never really living it. I wasn't really sort of doing much towards it. But then um, I sort of found uh, the life I was living roundabout um, throughout my teenage years, sort of towards my 18th birthday, I just found that I was just getting heavier and heavier. I was getting more and more exhausted. I just had no energy, um, even though I was only 17 years old. And it just got to the point where it started to become overwhelming. And then I ended up... um, I ended up actually going to going to church uh, with my mother once, and someone just spoke over my life, and they just said, "You know, I really see that there's um, a future for you. You know, speaking into 
people's lives, encouraging people, and that ah. gave me a real sense of hope and perspective. And I was, I was just like, wow. So you know, there, there's actually a purpose for me. I can be, I can be useful for something. I can, you know, I, I can encourage other people. And so that sort of started me on learning to walk, um, learn, learning to walk a walk of faith. And it was a couple of years into that journey when I was about 20 that I was first diagnosed and put on the medication. And to start with, I sort of thought to myself, oh, yeah, no, this is, I'm just going to be stuck with this. Um, and, yeah, I'll, I'll never really get any better. I'll just be on medication. But um, the, the faith-based journey had begun to influence my thinking at that time. And... It's just what really what I really started feeling in myself is that no no this just doesn't sit right with me uh, there, there's a way through this what I'm struggling with is inside myself um, and there's a way through this there must be another cause it can't be as simple as just writing me off putting me on medication so there's got to be a way through this and I'm going to find it and. You knew then when you say I, there's got to be a way through and I've got to find it because that's pretty smart. I mean, when you're on meds, there, there's so yeah. many people I, still, even the people who are on meds, they often mm. say, I've got to get off. I've got to get off. So I still say we're hard on ourselves about that in life. We we don't want to be on meds. Partly, you know, it probably isn't the healthiest way, but it's also some people will be on meds for life and that's OK. Mm. So there are. There are different views on this, but what, sure. did you, what did you think were your options when you're saying, you know, that there has have to be a diff, there's got to be a different way? And yeah, you're including, you know, a faith based way of thinking now that's pretty strong since you're really starting to think you might be able to speak to people or talk to people. But did did you know what would be next for you? Not really, sort of thing. But um, throughout throughout the faith journey I was walking, I began to learn about. You know, spiritual things, emotional things that can cause these things. And I really began to feel that that was where my answers were going to come. And it was going to come from looking inwards and uh, just learning about myself. And that uh, through doing that, I would start to find answers of what was actually holding me back, you know, of, of what was what was holding me back mentally. Right. So let's let's roll back tape just a little and let's say you know in growing up then your experience like do you have a memory of what was the hardest thing of growing up with mental illness with just just you know kind of crazy stuff going on and being I call it clouded and foggy and blurry and dark in your head that those are some of the words that come up for me when I think of it but um, how was it growing up then with that? I mean, how, what was hardest about it? I know you told us things about it, but what was the hardest? I think the hardest was definitely that there was never a, a diagnosis of any kind. Well, yeah, a, a diagnosis like spiritually, a diagnosis medically when I was growing up. And so I was sort of just in this constant state of suspended animation, not really knowing what was wrong and just acting and reacting sometimes violently because I just wasn't coping with what was inside myself. And that brought on, you know, judgment and rejection and that sort of thing from other people. And I think that was really the hardest part because 
it was just you eventually I sort of I just shut myself down eventually completely because I just said oh if I just be myself and I just act out of how I'm feeling and how I'm thinking then I'm just going to get disciplined I'm going to get told off I'm going to get laughed at just things are going to things are just going to get worse and it was yeah it was really sort of it was really sort of the lack of understanding I guess and um not only from others around me towards me, but the lack of understanding myself because it's one thing being sick, but it's another thing being sick and not knowing that you're sick and no one else knows that you're sick and you know that something's wrong, but you have no idea what and it's just kind of like living with an open wound in a lot of ways and it can be quite maddening. What? A profound, profound thing that you have just said. I I can't, I relate to all of it. I mean, I got a visceral reaction as you said it because I think it it is just so, so important to know things, to understand and to have the knowledge. I know when I went through grad school, there were two schools of thought, you know, as we were going through counseling psychology and, and working on what all this would be um, to, to become therapists or coaches or whatever we all were to be. But there was a school of thought, which was, oh, my gosh, you know, we have this DSM, we have this diagnostic book and we can look it up and, you know, but a whole bunch of people at this school. And I was at a holistic school of study. So very, you know, very wholeness, very. Um, a holistic way of thinking, many people thought, never tell your client, never, never tell somebody, you have depression, you have bipolar, um, you, you know, you'll label them, they'll label themselves, they'll define themselves, they'll lose their self-esteem. You know? And then there was the whole school of thought of, you know, yes, you tell them, they're trying to find out what's going on. And um, it was really the same with meds. Don't ever give meds. You should never. And yes, give meds every time. You know. And to me, there's not an all or nothing, but mm. I'm a huge believer in information makes sense of your world. Absolutely. If you, if you and I, that's what I do as a coach. Like I take a story, and when people think that they're really, they think they feel like crap about themselves. They don't like themselves. But if I can make sense. Oh, I see why you did that. Let me tell you exactly why you did that. And I can explain. And I'm like, can you see that? I would have done that too. Mm-hmm. Then it makes sense. And then you can let go of some guilt and shame of what you walk with. Did you find that? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, knowledge is knowledge is power. And the more that you know, especially about this sort of thing, uh, the more power you have, the more understanding that you get about, you know, what's what you're going through, what's happening in your emotions and your body and that sort of thing, um, the more power you have. Just, just, yeah, it's just the power of just being able to say, oh, that's why this is happening. There's yes. just a, there's a tremendous freedom in that, I've found. Oh, I so agree with you. I so agree with you. You know, you can make sense of it. That's why this is happening. And you can do what you're doing. Try to learn more what to do. And as you said, not just fight symptoms per se, although I still say if you're acting out or you're having mood swings, you do feel like crap if you really don't think you should, if everyone's telling you you're wrong and you don't even know that you have a sickness or a reason. Once, if someone were to tell you, oh, that's pre-wired into you, that's pre-wired. You couldn't do it any other way if you tried Um, unless you have meds or unless we do these other kinds of, you know, here's your options to try to get out of that. But until you do anything, you're going to do that. You know, that's very helpful to at least understand. It doesn't make you feel so bad. But sure. um, 
I, I, so I just, I just could not resonate more. I hope that our listeners really hear that, that if you don't know what's wrong or you are feeling sad or dark or moody or compulsive or addictive or, you know, whatever it is that feels dark for you, you know, your own sort of dark shadow stuff. And, um, instead of feeling bad about yourself, understand there's probably a reason and we, you know, there's probably someone to sit down with and help make sense of this for you. So mm-hmm. I really, um, and, and of course a book like Graham's is fabulous because it's, it's a story. It's a, it's a person telling their story of a full journey. Um, and so there's nothing better than a credible story of truth that we could read and think, oh my gosh, there's hope for me. So I just sort of want to put that out there. But what I want to ask you, Graham, is, you know, so you're growing up. It's really hard. You don't have the diagnosis yet. You don't really know. And then, you know, were there, was there anyone or anything that you could relate to? I think the main thing I felt that um, I could relate to was actually was actually music. I really found an escapism in that. I was listening to music, you know, that was written written and recorded by clinically depressed people. You know, I was a I was a huge Nirvana fan when I was growing up, and of course, you know, we all know the story about you know Kurt Cobain and everything and what happened there. But I found I found solace in in that and that sort of music and that sort of sort of rebellion, sort of, you know, anti-establishment, I, I, I really found a sense of not only release and escapism, but also a sense of identity in that as well. Very powerful, very powerful answer that you threw in identity. And again, I really want to, I always stop and want to say, listeners, like there's, there's a key right there. Even if you're suffering and you're not sure what to do, is there something that you do love to do? Is there something that really calls out to you? And as Graham is saying, sometimes that is a solace. Sometimes that is a true peace of, of mind and, and a way to get through something. So um, holding on to your identity, knowing something that makes you you is, is really critical while everything else feels kind of blurry. Mm. And during the dark times, did you ever want to give up altogether, Graham? Yes, oh, there, there were certainly times when I sort of thought to myself, oh, not really sure if I can do this. Um, I, I don't really see a vision of things getting much better and that sort of thing. And there, <clears throat> there were times where some really dark thoughts entered my mind in terms of you know wanting to just give up. But I feel there was there was always something like absolutely below all the rubbish that I had. Um, within myself there was something below that all of it and there was just the best way I can describe it is that there was just like a shining light at the core of my being and it just kept on saying to me um, just things are going to get better you're going to get better you're going to get through this just hang in there just keep going and I believe that is due to the faith-based commitment I made um, when I was about four years old or so there's something was imparted to me with that and it never really left me and it gave me and it just gave me a light right at the very core of my being um, during those really dark times wow I I'm going to have to do some logistics to close the show, but I wanted to just note then it seems to me what would go with that is that you had to feel really alone because I'm just picturing our listeners listening. And there was there a real aloneness to this dark feeling, even though you're saying the shining light kept you holding on, which is amazing. Mm. But um, were, were you feeling pretty alone, like nobody really got you? 
Oh yeah, most of the time. I yeah. found that um, I, I did have some. I did have some people who stood by me through thick and thin. Uh, my mother being one of them because um, she had been walking her own faith journey for about thirty years or so, and um, she just she just stood by me no matter what, and um, she. She gave me a lot, of, a lot of advice, a lot of wisdom, a lot of insight um, in a non-judgmental, loving way. So that was very, that was very helpful in that relationship. Somebody, yeah, yes, yeah, certainly yeah. helped. Yeah. Okay. All right. So let me let me recap then a little bit, um, and I want to just say thank you, Graham. Thank you so very much. I know you're still going to be on, but I'm going to do a little recap and close of the show here. So thanks for being here, and I know you're here next week, and I'm thrilled. But thank you. No problem. Thank you, Lindsay. You're welcome. Today we talked about growing up with depression and OCD and suffering and feeling so very alone. We discussed addiction. It can be guitar. It could be a medication. It could be a substance. It could be anything. Just something you, you know you throw yourself into and try to make your life okay because you know you need to feel okay, but it gets very hard. We talked about self-sabotage in relationships in life, not knowing why things aren't going right. And so you're doing things, but the things you're doing are creating more rejection or more problems, which is really what self-sabotage is. Graham was really honest. And in this book, it can help so many people with hope and help them find their way from pain to clarity. So no way out, but through, I want you to Google that. And I really ask that you read it. Lindsay Life Secret, here it is. Depression is rampant in society. Is it a label? Is it a condition? Is it just symptoms leading to a deeper spiritual need for wholeness? We stigmatize depression. We stigmatize mental illness. And we create a taboo around being able to even admit it. This contributes to a suicide epidemic. And I believe this. I believe there's a suicide epidemic going on and growing by the minute. We have to talk and we have to listen And we have to learn and we must have compassion. We all must make room to help those and anyone we know suffering. And we need to stop judging why the suffering is happening. In other words, we don't need to know know, what you're suffering from and then put a label on it and then judge it. I would like to say that I suffer from depression. And only since I've had a live radio show have I felt able or safe to be able to say that. But I also feel responsible to share that, to share that fact boldly with the world. It's important and it is important to feel safe. I'm really thankful to Graham for helping inspire me, for helping inspire others, for helping us next week. We did not talk about how do we get out of the darkness, but Graham's coming back next week and we will. So you must tune in next week on October 22nd. It's very critical. You have our addresses. You're all busy people. You make choices. You choose this show. Don't think for a second I take it for granted. And I am your host, Lindsay Levinson. And we've had our guest, Graham Aitchison. And we're on Illuminating Now, Lindsay's Life Secrets. Thank you so much for listening. Look up the book. Please buy it. Have a precious and really worthwhile week. Thanks. Thanks for joining us for Illuminating Now, Lindsay's Life Secrets. Please join Lindsay Levinson again next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a terrific week.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 